back, everybody. It is Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get into our Bible study. Before we do, we've got some really excellent text messages to get through. And we have another question for our quiz. All right, for 400 points, who is J of A, a secret disciple who cared for Jesus' body after the crucifixion? Oh, there you go. 0491-064-669. If you know who J of A is, then you can give us a call. You can win for 400 points a book from our selection of bargain books. But again, that question was, who is J of A? Uh, a secret disciple who cared for Jesus' body after the resur- after the crucifixion. All right. So we've got some text messages here to look at. Uh, let's have a look at this one. Uh, in relationship to the story that I did on uh, Russia and the Ukraine and the humanitarian aid that is going to Ukraine, and asking the question, you know, whose side is God on in this conflict? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a valid question. Do we just automatically assume that God is on the side of Ukraine? I think that these political conflicts are far more complex than what the media portrays them to be. And I would be very reticent to choose a side on behalf of God because, you know, there's a whole slew of things that are are going on in the background. That's what I talked about. Anyway, uh, somebody says, hang on, Russia invaded Ukraine. Problem light right there. Totally agree. Mm Mm-hmm. And what Russia has done there is absolutely heinous uh, and should be condemned with the strongest possible words. Uh, There is absolutely no question in my mind about that. The question that is in my mind, though, is what could have been done to avoid it? Mm. And that's where I see a lot of political complexities coming in. And my question is, could Zelensky have avoided it, Mm. being, being invaded? And if he could have avoided being invaded, then... Isn't there some culpability there as well? I don't know. And this is the reason why I'm saying we need to pray for people because there are things there. When I look at the situation, I go, yeah, of course Zelensky could have avoided. That would have been easy to avoid. Yeah. But I'm just a simple person looking from the other (laughs) side of the world. That's right. I don't know. But what I do know is that I can pray for people. Mm. I don't have to pray for sides. Mm -hmm. I have to pray for people. Mm -hmm. And if I'm praying for people, I can't go wrong. Anyway, mm. that's that's my view on it. That's where I stand on it. Um, and then we have another text message says here, an awesome golden oldie. Thanks, producer. And, of course, predictive text has put that in as Aldi, not oldie, but anyway, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Did a bit of head scratch, head scratch on that one, like the supermarket. What are we, the what are golden we Aldi. <laughs> oh, dude, that's when you get cheap avocados. Uh, yeah, that's it. All right, let's go here. We've got some more one. Uh, the carbon neg- negative technology algae was made by God to clean up the seas. Hopefully they will not cause deforestation of the seas. Then we will really be in trouble. Oh, true. I yeah, there's already deforestation of the seas taking place. I remember back in the day the humongous, just mind-boggling forests of kelp that grew around the, ta- the coast of Tasmania, which are mostly just gone now. Oh, um, and it was it was it used to be spectacular to see it. You know, the whole mm. surface was just incredible. But anyway, uh, free accommodation for refugees. Good to see people opening their hearts. Wouldn't it be beautiful if people were like this all the time? What a different world this would be. There are one hundred and sixteen thousand homeless people in Australia. Are they not refugees mm. from life themselves? Yeah. It's a very valid point. Mm. It is a very very valid point. We rush to help Ukraine, which is good, Mm. and we should do. 
but there's a bunch of homeless people in our country as well. Yeah. Uh, you're meeting with minor parties, not too strong on religious freedoms or general freedoms. Doesn't seem that there is a chance of them ever taking up government. Okay, to be fair on this one, uh, the UAP guy, in his personal views, was very strong on religious liberty. I would say equally as strong as I am on the issue of religious liberty. Uh, these, of course, being his his a representation of his personal views, the party has not published an official statement. Uh, he was definitely, out of the four, the only one who actually had a strong opinion on the issue. Mm. Uh, for some of the others, it was almost like an issue that hadn't really spent a lot of time, you know, delving into. And, you know, these are, I get that these are one-issue parties. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was sort of like, oh, mm, okay, all right, let me yeah. think about that. Whereas this guy had, in his mind, his personal policy was very clearly outlined. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what you expect from like one issue parties. Minor I, parties. I remember uh, I was here, I heard an interview. This was like back in I think it was 2015 when uh, Light Rail for Australia was one of the one of the parties that was running. One of the minor parties that was trying to get some seats because they ultimately wanted to build a high speed train from Brisbane to Melbourne. Like that yes. was that yes. was their deal. And um, the question ultimately come up. It's like oh so. So what's your views on other issues? Like, what do you think about negative gearing? What do you think about climate change? And the guy just responds, he's just like, um, uh, so we believe in practicing common sense in these areas and then just like moves on. It's like... Yeah, it's a one-issue party. They, we get that. I understand yeah. that. It, having said that, uh, if I'm going to, you know, cast a vote for someone, I want to know where they stand on exactly. religious liberty mm-hmm. because for me that is important, a really important issue. Mm. And I think it should be for all people of faith uh, here in Australia. Uh, the polluted atmosphere and up. That's why God says he will make a new heaven and a new earth. We, will re- we have really made a mess of it. God has to start all over again just mm. as well. Uh, discrimination uh, issue. Totally agree with your sentiment. Sad world we live in where all decisions are politically based instead of morally based. This is what happens when they leave God out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, hydrotherapy. Um, amazing stuff. Many years ago I fell from... Amazing stuff. Many years ago I fell from a very big horse on full gallop while Oof. jumping over a fallen tree trunk. Oh, I know what that's like. Yeah, off off a horse or off a no, bike? No, like a bike. Yeah. Like, I know what it's like to fall from high places. Yeah, at speed. At speed. Yeah. What was your fastest ever crash? Oh, okay. Uh, two hundred and two point seven kilometers per hour. <laughs> I, I slid off the bike, um, and I know you know the exact kilometers because we had the telemetry to to tell us. Um, and I slid for so long on my side because, like, we're wearing a full leather suit, so yes. it's not, like, skin on the ground. But I uh, slid for so long on my side that I got, like, a heat burn through my suit. So I'm not surprised. It's 200, <laughs> what is it, 212, did you say? 202.7. 200. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know what it's like to fall off of stuff. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. it fell off a very big horse on full gallop while jumping over a tree trunk. Um, I really thought I wasn't going to stand up or walk again. My body was totally sore. Oof. When I got home, my wife, Olga, gave me hydrotherapy, hot cold, hot and cold towels, finished it with a rub down. Um, what an epic wife. Uh, by the next morning, I was 95% back to normal. By the next day, 100%. Every family should investigate how to do it. Very easy to do. It's all about the immune system for perfect health. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's great testimony. Um, if you think about it, before our present medical systems 
all our foreparents knew about natural medicine for mm. thousands of years. Mm. Um, interesting that with lies, the more you repeat them, the more they sound like the truth. That is what Satan did in heaven. Nothing is new under the sun. It won't stop till Jesus comes. I'm not sure exactly what that's in relationship to in the stories yeah. that we've been sharing. Maybe, maybe it was but, when you, you shared about media bias against prohibition or something like that. Yeah, quite possibly. Mm. Totally agree with the uh, the sentiment. With, with the concept that uh, being presented there. Yeah, let's get to our Bible study, and we have a uh, fascinating Bible study to get into. And of course, we want to remind you all: uh, send in your send in your questions. We need some questions of the day to add to our list, and send in your comments on the Bible study. We want to hear from you. Uh, who is this? Is the thing for this week? Who is your favorite person of faith in Hebrews chapter eleven? Mm-hmm. So Hebrews chapter 11, who's your favorite person of faith right there? Uh, let's find out. All right, let's, um, let's talk about Joseph. Why is, the, why is it the Bible says, why would, why would Joseph be listed as a person of faith, Lawson? What do you think? Because he's amazing. Okay. Where, where do you see his biggest act of faith? Um, I would, man, okay, his life is just a continual act of faith. And I'm not saying that as a cop-out, but, like, if we, if we look at Joseph's like, okay, so he's thrown into a pit and taken as a slave. Yes. And then his decision at that point is purposing in his heart that, like, he's going to be the most faithful slave that there is. Like, not only, like, yes, to his master, but also to God. Yes. But that leads to the situation where then, you know, he has the opportunity as a slave to go against his master and commit adultery and do a bunch of terrible things, um, to which he decides not to do to his own detriment. Like, he gets thrown in jail and his life ruined even further uh, because of his choice not to commit adultery. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so Joseph stays faithful through all of these things and in all of these things, you know, you find that um, he exercises a tremendous amount of faith in jail. He decides he's going to be the best inmate there is. And then starts running the jail. From the inside. Yeah. With permission of the uh, jailer. Yep. and or, then or, or appointment by the jailer, we should say. And then it becomes a dream interpreter. That, that actually been, this has been the Bible study on um, Speak Life, which has been writing. They've been highlighting the life of Joseph and seeing yes. the, the, how his, you know, kind of story ebbed and flowed and how God used him. But ultimately, like, the, 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 the climax of the story is, like, he becomes the second in command of the empire of Egypt and he uses his position to like save his family who betrayed him and threw him in a pit. And then they all get back together again and kind of live happily ever after until his family end up being enslaved by the Egyptians. And then there's the story of, you know, the Exodus that follows that. But God really used Joseph as a, like in one of the most dire and desperate situations in Joseph's life um, because he responded to, to God, he said, he said, okay, like, if anyone had excuse to be down in the dumps and, like, want life to end, it, dude, it was this guy. But he responds and he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm purposing in my heart to follow God. And everything was accomplished because of that. Absolutely. The, uh, what I find fascinating is the event that the Bible highlights here in verse 22, if Joseph's life where, um, and this is what Paul highlights as Joseph's greatest act of faith. Yeah. Is what his 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 dying words are, mm. 
And you don't usually think of a person's dying words necessarily as being their greatest act of faith. But why don't you read for us verse 22? In verse 22, the Bible says, And it was by faith uh, that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. So he knew the prophecy. He understood the prophecy mm. uh, that you know, God had said 400 years of you know, sojourn in Egypt. And he's like, okay, guys, you are going to go back to the promised land. You're going to go back to the land of Palestine. Mm. And when you do, take my bones with you. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And, of course, you know, being the, uh, the grand vizier or prime minister of the empire at that particular time, he would have had a spectacular tomb to be buried in. Mm. That was the custom of the Egyptians. And for Egyptian officials, we find that they do, to this day, they have absolutely spectacular tombs. And it'd be like, oh, well, this would be a nice place to, uh, to, for my body to rest. He's like, no, pull it out of that tomb. Take it back to the, to, to the land of Palestine. And those dying words would have given a level of courage to God's people for a mm. long time. I tend to think that by the time that the Exodus began, those words had possibly been largely forgotten and there was a lot of depression that had set in mm. and a lot of doubt. But Joseph had no doubt whatsoever at all as to what would happen. Then the Bible goes on and guess who the Bible speaks about as being a person of faith after Joseph? Moses? No. Moses' parents? Yes. <laughs> Jochebed and... And it was on my tip of my tongue here a second ago. Um, but yeah, Moses' parents. Mm -hmm. Okay, read it for us. It says here, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Okay, so that takes a fair chunk of faith because, you know, human preservation, that kind of thing. I guess... Well, to be honest, I think most parents would probably do a similar kind of thing, but you, there would be a lot of people that were losing their lives at this particular time for trying to do so, you know, to, to preserve the life of a male child because the king had decreed that they were all to be, you know, to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. And uh, what a horrific pharaoh uh, this particular pharaoh was. And so they saved this child. Yeah, and you think about, like, the, the means in which they saved him, like... You know, they because they tried to hide the child for a considerable amount of time, but ultimately realized they couldn't get away with it anymore. And so, what did they do? They put Moses in a basket and floated him down the river. Like this is to have faith to do that. Like the if that didn't work out, Moses would die anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure whether they floated him down the river or whether they had the basket hidden in the reeds by the river bank, mm -hmm. where it was sort of. Um, held in place mm -hmm. with Miriam sort of there to play in the water and keep an eye out. Yeah. But just the same, that's, that's, that, that, is, that is extreme circumstances. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely extreme circumstances and, and very ingenious mm -hmm. on the part of um, Moses' parents to be able to do so and to think that they could raise this child in that kind of environment. I mean, how long are they going to have to keep him hidden for? Mm-hmm. It's really quite bizarre. But anyway, um, then the Bible goes on and talks about Moses' faith. And uh, where does Moses first exercise his faith? 
Verse 24. And says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and continues on, it says, He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And continues on, it says, He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Okay, so this is this is where Moses is at. Moses is in a position where he is able to uh, what should we say, become the single most powerful person on planet Earth. Uh-huh. Egypt at the zenith of its power, the greatest empire in existence, and he is crown prince to the throne of Egypt. Yes. He can have all of that. Mm-hmm. But what does he choose? He chooses to be faithful to God's people. Wow. Not just because they are his people, but because they are God's people, and by being faithful to God's people, he's being faithful to God. Mm. Now, that's a sacrifice that we don't even really begin to understand. Yeah, it's interesting when we talk about, like, this story, we often, like, well, we, we make the joke, like, when Moses calls himself the meekest person on earth, and he's, like, the, the book that he writes, and we're like, ah, Moses, you know, that's that's a bit that's a bit not humble of you to say that you're the most that, humble person. Mm-hmm. But uh, we often mix humility and meekness together. Yeah, that's right. Which we shouldn't. Which we shouldn't. But yeah, in terms of you know how we how the Bible defines meekness as someone with great power who has the ability to to keep it under control. Like we see, the, the reality is is that Moses was the most meek person, and and we often look at it as like, oh, he was meek because he was able to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. It's like, no, it didn't even start there. It started right here at the very beginning of his life. Like, as you said, he could be the most powerful political ruler in the world. Yes. <laughs> That's and, who he could have been. And, and that is that, you know, we, we look at Moses as being a very powerful political ruler as he was leading the Israelites through the mm. wilderness. And we're like, oh, he was definitely meek there because he had so much power. Mm-hmm. And yet he kept that power under control. Mm-hmm. But think about, you know, the power of looking after, say, a million ex-slaves in the desert compared to being the emperor of the most powerful, uh, what should we say, the most powerful empire on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this, is the, this is the choice that Moses has. Moses could have been the Joe Biden of his era. Mm-hmm. You know, rule the, rule the empire with the greatest military, the greatest power that there is. Uh, and instead he chooses to throw his lot in with, you know, an obscure tribe somewhere mm-hmm. that wants to leave that empire and move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And move, you know, somewhere else after going, like, through the wilderness. For yeah. 40 years. Yeah. That's that's meekness because who, 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 what, what, how many people have ever had that kind of power at their fingertips? Mm. Very, very few. And how many people have kept that power under control to the point that they make a decision to serve God rather than to serve that power. And I would probably say very few again. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's continue on here. Um, where did we get up to? Uh, we read through Moses' life. We read verse 27. We did. We read verse seven. Yeah. No, 28. Uh-huh. The, the Bible. Yep. 
And, and a couple of verses there. Okay, it says, It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though uh, they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. Okay, so here we've got a fascinating passage. We're going to have to come back and talk about it in a little bit more detail in just a moment. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Here on The Breakfast Show this morning, as we get into our last question for our quiz, the big one, the 500-pointer, Lawson, what have you got for us? All right, for 500 points, the question is, what part of the city wall of the New Jerusalem is decorated with precious stones? If you know the answer to that one, you can win our prize for this morning, uh, which will be the book covering the journey of many of these heroes of faith. I'm going to be giving away the book. It's going to be called Prophets and Kings. It's a book I'm reading through at the moment. It goes over the lives of many of the prophets and kings um, who were in Israel, kind of post the period of King David. So it yes. starts around around King Solomon era and then into uh, Israelite history. Right uh, the way through to the end of the Old Testament. Basically, yeah, the Babylonian captivity and then the rebuilding of Jerusalem that takes place afterwards. So 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. And for 500 points... Uh, and for that question, it was, uh, what part of the city wall of the New Jerusalem is decorated with precious stones? 0491-064-669. Yes, fascinating. It's not exactly how we would decorate it, but <laughs> there's a reason why it is, and I'm going to have to stop talking before I give away too many clues for <laughs> yeah. what this question is all about. Just a quick reminder, if you've got a question that you want to put in for question of the day, we would love to hear from you. Um, just send it through to us, 0491 hmm. We will add it to our list and we will then uh, we answer every single question that comes through at some particular point. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 where we were. We've been talking about Moses. We have been talking about uh, the power that he had available to him hmm. and the choices that he made and why he made those choices. Uh, the Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And you can imagine that, you know, being Pharaoh, being the ruler of the greatest empire on earth, it would come with its carnal pleasures. Yeah, that's right. And that could be a tremendous temptation for a young man who's mm-hmm. growing up in that environment. Mm-hmm. And yet he stays faithful to God despite the fact that that he is growing up in the palace of the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. All right, we need to continue on here. Uh, we were finishing off with a thought here. Um, we read verse the Passover. 28. Yes, the Passover, yeah. The Passover. Okay, so the act of the Passover is a fascinating one. Mm. you know, And I think this really illustrates faith so well. Because some people, you know, we've talked about this before, this is the faith chapter. People see faith as being, you know, believing in something that you have no evidence for. Mm-hmm. And the difference between faith and fact and how fact establishes faith. Okay, were there facts upon which they could establish their faith for the Passover when the angel of death passed over those homes? Yeah, it was the previous plagues. Like nine facts. Yeah, like nine really big, life-altering, visible, testable facts. It's like, oh, did those plagues really happen? Oh, well, is have all my things been eaten by locusts and is the river red with blood? Like, they could go out and see it. Yes, if you were a betting person, 
you know, you would look at what had happened. Okay, Moses said this would happen, it happened. Moses said that would happen, it happened. You know, when he gets it right nine times in a row, you'd put your money on the tenth being right as well, wouldn't you? Totally. Absolutely. It's interesting, you know, if you look at some of the prophecies like Daniel uh, 2, for instance, there's mm-hmm. ten points in Daniel chapter 2. There's only one that hasn't been fulfilled, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And people are like, mm-hmm. oh, you have faith in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the return of Jesus Christ. You have faith in something you've got no evidence for. Mm. No, you've got an abundance of evidence for <laughs> yeah. it. You've got ten facts that have already been fulfilled mm-hmm. to illustrate that you can trust this last one. And it's interesting that with the Passover, the facts were so strong and they were so you know in their face at that particular time that you had... Egyptians. That's right. Mm. That kept the Passover Mm -hmm. because they're like, we don't want our eldest son to die. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and, and God, you know, when God went through the land of Egypt, he did not discriminate Mm. based on race. That's right. He discriminated based on the blood on the doorpost. That's right. He made a proclamation. Yes. Those who are covered by the blood of the lamb Mm. will not die. Mm. And he makes that same proclamation to us. Oh, that's actually such a good point. I was having a conversation with someone recently about, like, um, you know, was God, like, was God being racist in the Old Testament? Like, did he just favor the Israelites for no reason? And um, was he just dispossessing other nations for his own sake? And, uh, oh, for the Israelites' sake, um, yeah, for no reason other than they were Israelites. And the answer is, like, no, he actually, God actually discriminates against sin and evil. And that, so that's what was taking place in their situation. Like, that's right. It, hey, if you would listen to God and stop sinning, then like it's over, it's done. Like <laughs> you're good. Um, and that went for for all of these kingdoms, for all of these nations, and especially in Moses's sake here. And this is what's interesting because the Bible, you know, has those couple of statements where it talks about uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm. You know, after like mm. 14 statements or something mm. or other where the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart or Pharaoh's heart was hardened, there's, and, and people just latch onto those couple of statements and are like, oh, look what God is doing right here. Yeah. But the simple reality is that Pharaoh had the opportunity to put the blood on his doorpost as well, mm. and he chose not to. Mm-hmm. And God would have honoured the blood on Pharaoh's doorpost in exactly the same way as he would have honoured it on the most yeah. righteous Israelite that there was. Dude, Pharaoh could have been a hero of faith. He could have been. Pharaoh could have been in this chapter. Yes. By faith, Pharaoh he let the Israelites the, go. come through on the last plague. Yeah. You know, it's like, welcome to the party. You're late, but we're glad you're here. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? And God would have honoured that, but unfortunately, Pharaoh did not. And that's kind of how it caps it off in verse 29. It's like they were pursued until the Red Sea and the Egyptians drowned. Like, by faith, Moses stood, and by not having faith, Pharaoh fell. Like, that's how it ended. And this is how faith works um, with us all the way down to this day. All right, now let's move on from Moses and the next hero of faith. Who is named in verse 30? It says, It was by faith the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Okay. So it's all the people. Yes. Yes. Because I was going to say Joshua. Yeah, where's his, where's his name, so Lyle? Doesn't say his name. I, I didn't read that there. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say right, the next one's about Joshua. doesn't name him, but it's about Joshua, but it's actually all the people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, let's see here. Oh, the, the next one is super interesting. In fact, Monica was talking about this one. This is definitely her hero of faith. Mm. Let's read that. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. All right. 
Just looking at uh, this text message here, it says, I used to show my Bible study group the questions as a witness to for Faith FM. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's talking about question of the day. No, what's I'm I'm missing something here in this in the in this in this question. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I know I know what he's trying to say. He's, he's saying yeah, yeah. It's like um, yeah. I used to show my Bible study group the questions as a witness uh, to for Faith FM. Uh, I get the message. I I think he's saying he's essentially. Anyway, we will get clarification on that uh, <laughs> message right there, and we will come back to it. Yeah. Shell is, is telling us something through the microphone. What did they say? Let's just go on with the Bible study because uh, okay. I am just super confused right now. That's a, that's a uh, bit of a wild moment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Okay, so let's continue on right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we up to? We were talking about Rahab. Mm-hmm. Let's go to verse 32 then because here we sort of launch into this. This is where Paul starts to to run out of, of, you know, he's been getting shorter and shorter and shorter on the people, mm-hmm. on the description of the lives of the people that mm-hmm. he has been talking about, and uh, he just starts to run through and list a whole bunch of people. Yeah, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would, make, it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Sansom, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the other prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. Uh, they, yeah, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fires of uh, the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weaknesses was turned into strength. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. To get into question of the day, before we do, as always, we have answers for our quiz questions. Lawson, all right. Uh, for one hundred points, the answer was Judas. For two hundred, curse God and die, which is some pretty hectic advice to give, uh, especially from one's spouse. Uh, for three hundred points, it was feet. Four hundred points, the answer was Joseph of Arimathea. That was the J of A. And for five hundred points, the answer is foundations. But right now, it is time for. Question of the day. All right, Lyle. Our question of the to the day today uh, is: Do we know how long Hannah kept Samuel at home before taking him to the temple to become a priest? And that comes in from Karen. Yeah, and of course we've been talking about some incredible stories of faith as you know we've been going through Hebrews chapter eleven and listing all of these you know people of faith in our in our Bible study here on Faith FM, and certainly Hannah was one of those people of faith. Here you've got a woman who is unable to have children. Uh, She comes from a home where there are two wives and the other wife is having plenty of children. And so, you know, there's obviously no problem with the husband. The problem is her. She knows it's with her. And she desperately, desperately wants to have a little baby. And, you know, this is not an uncommon story in our world. I think we all know people, we all know ladies who have gone through this experience of really, really wanting to have a child of their own and not being able to. And it can be incredibly heartbreaking. And the Bible says that she went up to the temple, to Shiloh, and uh, she was there at the temple and she was praying, the Bible says, in bitterness of soul. And she vowed a vow, the Bible says, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and remember me and not forget your handmaid 
but will give unto your handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come on his head. And so she makes this promise, I'm going to dedicate this child to you. This is a promise that every parent can make, and I encourage every parent to make. She dedicates this child to the service of God. And of course, this is going to be different for, for her as it's what it's going to be for us or anyone else who makes this particular vow when they go to have children, because it's going to involve her taking him uh, to live at the temple, to be raised by the priests, among the priests, uh, to be a servant of God. Anyway, the Bible says that uh, while she was praying, the high priest at that particular time, Eli, uh, was watching, and he, you know, he noticed her mouth, and she was praying in her heart. The Bible says, and her lips were moving, but she wasn't actually saying any words. And uh, he thought this woman's drunk. She looked drunk, and that's really blasphemous to be drunk in the temple. And so Eli's like, well, I need to do something about this. This is, this is not appropriate uh, for worship service. And, and, and so he goes to rebuke her and is like, why are you drunk? What, you know, get rid of your alcoholism. Put away your wine from you, he says. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. And you can imagine how bad Eli felt at this particular point. He would have felt absolutely awful for having said, you know, and every one of us, it's a human thing. We put our, ma- our foot in our mouth from time to time, and it's always really, really awkward, and it happens. I'm sure that it's happened to you. It certainly happened to me from time to time, and you feel bad. But Eli would have felt bad, and Eli says, Go in peace. The Lord God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went on her way and ate, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned to the house. Um, And uh, the Lord remembered her, the Bible says. And it came to pass that when the time was come after Hannah had conceived, she bore a son and called his name Samuel, because she says, I have asked him of the Lord. Now, the question is, when was Samuel turned over to the priests to be raised by the priests. And you can imagine the sacrifice that is involved in this when you have prayed and desired a child so hard. And, of course, Elkanah, her husband, he goes up to Shiloh every every year, probably you know three, four, maybe seven times a year to worship there as a part of the annual festivals. Maybe more, we don't know how often, but Hannah doesn't go. She's like, no, I'm going to stay here at home and I'm going to raise my child. And when my child is ready, then I will go and present him there before the Lord. The Bible says in verse 24, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a little bottle of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And the Bible says how they make their sacrifice there, and they dedicate him to the Lord, and he lives there from that point forward. The Bible gives the age of when he was weaned. Now, we don't know how what age that was. If we look at the World Health Organization stats, uh, it seems that child's, children, particularly in developing countries, the average age for being weaned is about 4.2 years. Uh, there are references, passing references in historical books like the Book of Maccabees that describe children being weaned at about you know three years of age and so forth. And so this seems to be a reasonable age for that time, for that culture, uh, for Samuel to be weaned and turned over to the priest. So we're talking about kindergarten age when he would have been uh, turned over to the priest and then raised right there uh, by, the, by the high priest himself in the temple 
as a servant of God. So major sacrifice on Hannah's part, but one that, that certainly paid out because Samuel became a great prophet. This is Hannah Kerr with Beast. As always, remember to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.